Welcome to TLDR. I am your host, Hunter Guthrie, small business owner and wealth advisor. And your co-host, Jake Webster, real estate advisor and entrepreneur. We connect Alaskans with the leading voices in business and entrepreneurship and the experts that help them get there. Brought to you by Coho Financial, Legacy Realty LLC, and recorded at the First Rate Financial Studios. Welcome into the episode of today. We are joined by Tracy Stewart. She has a diverse foundation, as Jake <laughs> liked to say before we started this. So, you know, from a uh, business professor to a psychologist and, um, you know, I, th- I think I saw something interesting here. Where she's trying to get her open water diving credentials. So, you know, a little bit of a, a different um, hobbies and things she's got going on. Um, but today, uh, welcome on to the podcast. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. That's awesome. I like yeah. that. Delight. Uh, so I guess I will jump in. Okay. I just, we were talking a little bit before we started recording uh, about psychology. And th- I think that is actually something that comes up with a lot of the consultants that we have on here is the the um, the things w- that business owners tend to struggle with. Identity, um, uh, lots of reasons why that is, but... What what has been your experience bringing that into your your consulting business that that psychology that psychology background mm-hmm. or foundation? You know, it's it, it's been very helpful. Um, I think people make an assumption that I'm analyzing them or something like that, which is so far from the truth. But what's really helpful about the psychology background is it helps you stop and look at the human behavior contributions to organizational challenges and opportunities and whether you're looking at trying to help employees feel better about what they're doing, you know, morale, everybody's talking about retention and recruiting and the challenges and, you know, keeping people in the workforce and understanding human needs and treating them appropriately can help some organizations do better. But also leaders, you know, how they understand themselves, what they're blind to, what they can bring forward and do better, how they think about developing their employees so that their employees stick around and their companies do better all of that. And when I've been in leadership roles, it's also been really helpful for me to think about, again, the needs of the group, group dynamics, mm-hmm. and sort of larger system needs. All of those have been really well informed by my background as a psychologist. That's, I, I've, I've heard that emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence training is becoming a little more accepted in the business world. But I, I've seen that in employers that I've worked for, just a, a lack of that, uh, that I don't know. They're out of touch with the people below them. It's kind of a do as I say, like leadership doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever worked that way well. I think it's the system that, that we used, but that's very interesting. Do you do you see that as a uh, – we had uh, Christian Mantine, mm-hmm. a consultant, come in, and he shared a story about a guy that basically told him point blank after a few questions – you're, you're asking all the right questions. I know where you're going, and I'm not willing to do that. We're done. At least he knew what he wanted, I suppose. Right? That would be the advantage all the <laughs> right. way around. Yeah. You know, I just saw something today. I, If I can answer this in two parts. Mm-hmm. I saw something today. I was putting together a, a presentation for a group I work with, and it's from um, Corporate Rebels. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They, they try to look at different ways of organizational design and, and organizational frameworks to improve management, self-management, you know, all that sort of uh, framework of leading. But they had this uh, picture of a dead flower and, you know, someone with a megaphone yelling at it, grow, grow, grow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then in the split screen on the other side was a plant with, you know, the vision being the sun and space being there and water being training and the roots had something else. But the idea that you can't demand growth. You can't scream at people for it. You know, command and control, that kind of hierarchical leadership approach does make sense in some types of organizations when you need efficiency, when you need rapid response. I don't think there's a good or a bad organizational size or style or framework. Mm-hmm. But I think we have learned more and more that leaders who are authentic, who are aware of you know who they are, what they're doing, why they're doing it, that emotional intelligence and the needs of the organization do better overall. That doesn't mean you can't, 
you have to focus on the numbers. You have to have good metrics. You have to be working towards goals strategically or business plan. But there is such strong evidence now that emotional intelligence, uh, positive intelligence is another framework, uh, the whole role of mindfulness, the whole role of neuro uh, behavior, neuro leadership, they're all integrated to really make a difference in improving individual and organizational contributions. Um, in terms of emotional intelligence in general, I, I had the opportunity for a number of years to teach at Alaska Pacific University, and I used emotional intelligence in the framework of the MBA leadership course as the mm. sort of theoretical grounding for everything else we did in the class. There are other good theories out there, but it's one of the ones that stood better in the test of time and application and data. So, When you say uh, positive intelligence, that is that like positive reinforcement, that kind of... Not specifically. There's a, I'm going to mess up his name, Sherzad Charmaine is a relatively newer in the field area. And probably, I don't know the date that he kind of started doing his work, but he's got this framework of um, positive intelligence that really frames, again, it's, it's a combination of mindfulness, emotional intelligence, um, neuropsychology, understanding the messages we tell ourselves, those, mm-hmm. those automatic lessons that we learn when we're yeah. younger that help us survive that don't necessarily serve us very well when we're older, but they get in our way of good leadership and good decision-making. Mm. So it's a framework uh, that he's got for coaching. Mm. How does that, I mean, what's the application? I'm, I'm sure there's not a good cookie-cutter answer, but what, what is the application when you're, when you're sitting down with someone? It's helping people understand what might be driving them that they're not necessarily consciously aware of. Um, and how that might impact how they interact with other people. So Shirzad's approach or framework is, and I I want to tell you, I'm very new to it. I'm actually in the process of learning a little bit more about it. So I would ask you to cut me a little slack because I'm actually (laughs) starting a specific training on it in two weeks. But I've worked with a number of people who uh, have it out there and I'm in the process of reading his book. And it's the idea that we have these mental models, these heuristics that um, guide what we do, but we're not aware of it. And the less aware of it we are, the more likely we are to um, operate in a defensive manner. So Mm -hmm. we all have those judging voices that if we let them continue forward in our adult life can really reduce our ability to make good decisions. And so the the idea would be helping you think about what are your automatic patterns? Are you, uh, are you fearful? And so do you try to control everything or are you scared and do you avoid things? It's, Models like that, and you can see that in leadership, even really yeah. successful, highly capable CEOs and presidents who you know, make business decisions driven by fear or control or whatever, but they don't realize they're making them. And the businesses can do okay, but they could do a whole heck of a lot better mm-hmm. if we operated from a very different framework. So the idea is helping you identify those and think differently about how to make decisions. Mm. That's, I mean, that, that was a good point. There's a lot of su- successful businesses and mm-hmm. leaders that lead in that way, but that ability to, uh, I don't know. Reflect? Self-reflect. Well, yeah, yeah it, can, it can add value yeah. and, and to Immensely. your bottom line. Yes. And it's not just this, uh, I don't know. I've seen well, Growth for growth's sake kind of thing? Growth for growth's sake or this, this kind of... Uh, I don't know, Kumbaya. sit down, yeah, exactly, foo-foo-la-la, sit down mm-hmm. in a circle, kind of get in touch with yourself. Mm-hmm. It's It's got real-world application in the business world, and I think that that's exciting to me. Mm-hmm. I used to, I've said this often, you know, I used to teach, in my opinion, the hardest stuff that there was in an MBA program, because you can teach smart people accounting and finance and corporate law and all of those sorts of things if they're willing to sit down and work their way through and you need good faculty teaching this but human behavior is messy mm-hmm. and yeah. human behavior is complicated and the minute you get more than one person in a room you just make that exponential and if you've got leaders who are not enormously aware they might get stuff done but at the risk of people shedding from their organization at the risk of fraud at the risk of you name it you know you, you create these systems that aren't healthy if you aren't aware of what you're doing as a leader mm. and it's not easy to be aware is it Mm-mm. no it's <laughs> not and you know what the higher up you go the more you're rewarded for kind of a blind forward thinking and yeah. um, we you know i think culturally we reward that lone wolf get her done kind of person yeah and typically they do. I don't want to suggest that you don't have folks who do a good job of leading, but typically they do better. 
if they aren't driven by this unconscious junk. Yeah. Mm. No, good. I think good leadership is rare. Quality, quality leadership. But I, I think that's also, it goes back to the, the willingness of the individual, the leader, to be introspective and take ownership. That's uh, Jocko Willink. I don't know if you're familiar with his stuff, Extreme Ownership. And uh, there's a, I think, it's, I think it's David Goggins, two ex-Navy SEALs. Mm, yes. So very big on ownership. And um, David Goggins' thing is it, everything that's gone wrong in your life is your fault mm-hmm. in one way or another. And I think, um, I don't know, it's just hard to get someone to move out of that place. I mean, there's traumas, there's all of this baggage that we carry. So I'm curious how, how that, uh, that comes out in consulting. How do you get someone to move from that place into a place of ownership or self-reflection? I, you know, it's going to be cliche, but they've got to want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, they've either got to have reached a point in their own development Either, you know, chronologically, professionally, someone has, you know, said, holy cow, if you don't pay attention to this, you know, you're going to lose your senior staff, whatever it is. And they've got to be willing to look at it. And, you know, another firm, another term is accountability. You know, how do you take mm-hmm. that accountability? And there's another framework that I think dovetails nicely with this. I think we're so used to looking at problems as something to be avoided and to stay mm-hmm. away from and errors as something to avoid at all costs and not look at what your contribution was to it you know, or to blame them. You know, it's them, mm-hmm. it's the employees, it's the customer, it's the competitors, and it's not anybody, you know, not looking internally or reflectively. So I think, you know, how do you look at everything that happens, good or bad, as an opportunity for growth? How do you get the feedback from somebody that you trust to mm-hmm. help you look at what was your role in something? And, you know, organizations are really notoriously bad about I- ignoring things that need to be addressed because it takes time and everyone's afraid that if you stop and fix things, it will take too long. But it's almost like, if you'll bear with me, it's like teaching your children how to do something. It takes a whole heck of a lot longer to teach your children how to do the dishes or fold their clothes or do something if you step in and do it for them, they will never learn. You have right. to be able to sit back and be comfortable with the fact that it's going to take a little longer and not look the way that you, the adult, would do it. Organizational learning is not really different. If you're not willing to slow down and think a little bit about what you need to do to improve something and put the organizational time into improving the process and the procedure, you will always have that shortcut and workaround, which might get you seemingly to the other side of it, but it's never as good in the long run as if an organization can slow down enough to make the changes. And that's hard. Yeah. It does well, take time. And it takes time and there's costs. Yes. There, there's costs to both. What what uh, do you see at like results-wise when people take the time to do this? What is that? How, how does that affect the business? What does that look like in your experience? You know, I'm going to talk a little bit about data that's beyond me because I'm still fairly new in this recent uh, experience that I've got working with executives, so I don't have a large track record of data behind me. Mm-hmm. But one of the groups that I do work with, you know, talks about, um, you know, over bottom line growth of up to 10%, um, depending upon the business. Typically, it's more in the 45 to 5% growth, mm-hmm. um, two to three times growth relative to similar-sized peers because you get – Efficiencies, you get yeah. effectiveness, you make organizational change. You know, I've worked with leaders who, you know, have kept underperforming employees on long after they should. And I'm not someone who says you should fire, you know, because you woke up in the morning and you feel like it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they can document coaching, they can document training, they can document performance reviews, they can do all of the HR-related appropriate steps, the person still doesn't improve and they still keep them because they're a legacy employee or they're a, you know, an X, Y, or Z. And one of my questions is often, how do you think that this person's performance is impacting the other people working around them? Do you think that the other people around them are aware that mm. they're underperforming, that they've had these supports? And that's usually when the leader will go, oh, yeah. <laughs> so you know what you end up seeing is people who can make process procedure and difficult organizational decisions taking on that accountability in their role to do the difficult stuff what you typically tend to see is improved organizational morale 
improved organizational performance, and thus you start hitting your metrics better. So in the end, it becomes financially advantageous mm-hmm. to do that, but you don't see it right away, and it's hard, and people mm. avoid conflict. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we definitely have a positivity bias, right? Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to talk about the negative stuff. It's like, ah, oh, don't worry about that mm-hmm. one. You got it next time. Yeah. Or people are afraid to talk about it. Yeah. You know? It, and it's not easy. Man, it's a really bad thing to avoid. Yeah. Hmm. That's uh, I I come back to the delayed gratification. You're choosing you're choosing what cost you're willing to pay and avoiding mm-hmm. conflict and doing the hard thing is still a cost. Mm-hmm. And you're I I've seen that a lot in in businesses I've worked with or worked for. There's a employee and it the toxic mm-hmm. environment it creates, the resentment. I mean, there's so many different different uh costs i guess to that that was uh, i appreciate that answer because i mean it's hard to quantify and measure something like that with people well if i could add you know in financial perspectives businesses you know we look for that quarterly profit the quarterly numbers we focus so much on that and you can just look at and I'm not an expert in economics but you can look at some of the swings even in the market that are driven psychologically by quarterly reports. There's not as much longer-term thinking as I think would be valuable in the marketplace. And I think it's the same sort of thing when you're dealing with a challenging employee. The long-term benefits Mm -hmm. are huge. The short-term costs are enormous. And so people tend to avoid that. We do. We've just gotten into this kind of short-term framework that I don't think in the long run serves us, whether we're looking at, the, the metrics or whether we're looking at the organization. Well, that's, I mean, culturally, we are a very short-term, very short attention span people. And getting shorter. And getting shorter. <laughs> and when you look at other cultures, I, I like um, not all of it, but some of the stuff from China or Japan where they think in uh, these long 100-year periods and they have that, uh, the concept of a 500-year goal blew my mind. Mm-hmm. It creates thinking you're, you're focused on totally different metrics, totally different um, forms of growth, I guess. Uh, why? Why? Why is that such a struggle here? I mean, why? I don't the know. Tech, it's culture. I mean, tech, <laughs> tech it is, is a, a big, I think there's a consequence from hyper-simulation, mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be a, it'd be a huge boon just to, re- instead of require quarterly reporting, just annual reporting. I mm-hmm. think so. I would shift, even though it's just, you know, an extra, you know, nine months, it would shift the thinking a lot longer term. Right. Hmm. You were, um, you were talking about problems and it brought me back to what we were talking about before we started recording with, uh, you started to talk about the, um, I think it was psychology creating some issues in consulting for you. There were benefits, Mm -hmm. but what were some of those issues or problems did I get that wrong? Uh, I'm just trying to kind of pull back to that conversation, which seems like 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we talked about a lot of good stuff, and I was like, wait, she was going to get transparent. Let's go back. <laughs> you know, um, I might have – I know that I was talking a little bit about the use of psychology in my leadership roles when I had been in leadership roles. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting because people make assumptions about – wherever your professional background is, you know, whether you're an engineer or a computer scientist or an artist or whatever, people have preconceptions about what you will and won't do. So, you know, as a psychologist, um, even though I taught business for 16 years, people really anchored on the psychology part of my background. Um, I, you know, I think I found it very helpful because, again, it helped me think about, um, you know, organizational models. It helped me think about organizational dynamics, whether it was, you know, small groups or larger groups or organizational systems. I think the downside is, you know, at least in my own background, people sometimes dismiss the notion that I could understand, you know, thinking about what we needed to do to manage costs, what we needed to do to think about funding, you know. So I think it's just people have biases and certainly Mm -hmm. I had to make sure that I checked my own in the process. But one of the things I found it really helpful particularly was, you know, in sort of de-escalating situations. Just learning how to do some of that was helpful. Hmm. How do you do that? What does that look like? Well, the classic I need help. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I wish, you know, I could tell you, I always use it personally. You know, obviously we all have our moments when, mm-hmm. you know, I wish, oh man, I wish I just shut up. But um, it, 
typical de-escalation includes just speaking slower, lowering your voice. Mm-hmm. You know, as the person escalates in their own frustration, you go the opposite. Go side. the opposite way. Yeah. Mm. So you, I mean, you have to be self-aware. You have to start noticing the the triggers or the little red flags that are going off. That's, I think, I I have twenty ten hindsight. <laughs> I know, I know when I shouldn't have done something, but, uh, and it's, I mean, you're, you're totally on point. Um, when I think back, give the, me an example. Well, I'm trying to think of a relevant one. Um, there was a, so I just actually took a job working on a project up on the slope and there was, there were so many things. I mean, by the end of the project, it was a fight just every day. Um, personally, mm-hmm. to have a good attitude because everything was starting to deteriorate. The um, a lot of a lot of my motivation comes from when I was a kid, and I was the oldest, and I was told, um, like you're the oldest in this room, and if anything goes wrong, it's your fault, mm-hmm. which is totally a terrible thing to tell a kid that things outside of your control are within your control. <laughs> And just conditioned to think uh, I was responsible for other people's actions. And so there is a, a piece of it is shepherding and protecting. But when I'm hearing all of these disgruntled employees and I'm becoming the sounding board, and then I'm always part of my, uh, I can't remember which personality test revealed this, but my, I have a focus, I think it was Enneagram, I have a focus on leadership. So whenever something's going wrong, I look at the top. And it was just so disappointing to see the the ways that leadership was failing and letting people down and then to get that as a sounding board and then to see the passivity. And so I, how that came out was uh, reacting in certain situations and kind of snapping. Um, and I found out later exactly what I, what I feared that what was being received was, uh, Jake doesn't like authority. Jake doesn't, uh, can't take direction, which is not the case. There was so much, uh, there was so much going on. It was just hard. Um, and I would, I would think about it on the way in. We had a 45 minute drive in and I'm trying to like think about all the ways that I can slow down and, um, and uh, have more self-control. And it was like daily. There's just hyper-stimulation, that go-go mentality. And there's a point where I would hit a stress level and it would just, I would snap. And I I took ownership of it, but I see that that pattern. There's a point where something just kind of flicks on and it's it's a choice to react instead of respond. So it's... I guess uh, the more I understand, this is a very long answer. It's okay. It's been a, a <laughs> I had a question answer. afterwards, so go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that the more I understand about my motivators and I understand what's actually going on in the situation within myself, it helps me have more clarity and more ownership in the moment. Um, but I'm not, I'm not unique, but I have a lot of stuff to work through mm-hmm. from, from my childhood. So it's... I got to give, we talk about this a lot. We've got to give Jake grace. <laughs> yeah. Jake has to give Jake grace. Jake has yeah. to give Jake grace. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you've hit, you know, you asked me before how in coaching I help people look at it. It's exactly these kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's one thing to take ownership and, you know, I can empathize with you. I've had a few moments where I did not deescalate myself and unfortunately brought a lot of fire to a situation and even afterwards owning it wasn't enough. And so, you know, one of my learnings has been, and it's been helpful when I work with others is, okay, how do you help people catch it before that happens? And how do you deconstruct, you know, those experience kind of like a after action review for lack of a better term. When were you aware that you were getting close to that point? What were the conversations or the feedback how much of your observation of leadership and their passivity was accurate versus being driven by what you were hearing from right. other people? How much is that voice from your past, that thing that you survived? You know, For whatever reason, I'm sure your parents had good reasons. I'm not here to disparage your parents, but you're right. That was a pretty 
tough message. Mm -hmm. So how do you take that narrative and say, okay, here's the good parts from it. Here's the parts that don't make any sense for whatever reason they said it. Give them grace. Give yourself grace. And then, um, you know, even the example you're giving, can I offer a few thoughts? Absolutely, yeah. So when you've got a lot of people coming to you when you aren't really in a position of authority, correct? You're doing, sounds like a project-based type uh-huh. of thing. Nope, I was low man on the totem pole. Not only were you low man, you were the safe man because you weren't a regular part of the organization, right? Right, right. right. So it's really easy to dump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> dump for the outsider. Um, you know, when people get into that kind of, Kvetch and moan. Um, wasn't sure what wording I can use or not, so behaving myself here. Um, <laughs> any, any wording you it's, want. Yeah. <laughs> okay, bitch it's, and moan. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when people are just kind of going on and on, stopping it. Okay, I hear you. You sound frustrated, or it sounds like that's a frustrating circumstance. What's your solution? What mm-hmm. would you recommend? What have you tried? What are your organizational options? What are the avenues? Have you talked to? And sometimes people just need to vent, but if you're someone who takes on that responsibility... You also are trying to fix it, and when you can't, that's where I think you get your own kind of energizing thing going because you're now, even though you're the low man on the totem pole and the temporary man in this particular mm-hmm. case, your internal structure is I'm responsible for everything that's going wrong here, and if I don't fix it, it's going to collapse. Right, yep, yeah. So. And that's, I mean, I had that that self-reflection when I would get out of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you just took control over something that you shouldn't have. It was out of your control. And I had a friend, <laughs> he was kind of cryptic, actually, in how he was trying to come alongside me. And we we talked about, just be direct, just tell me what I need to do. <laughs> um, but it was just staying in my lane and, and knowing what was in my control and outside of my control. Because th- there were times where I would do that, push back on mm-hmm. the guys. And it was a, it was very apparent that it wasn't a big enough deal to them to do something about it. So um, it's just that. I, th- I need to dig into it. That protector in me, you see someone that's upset, and there were there was one leader in particular that was, it was my lead, and there was a guy above him, um, and so it was trickling downhill. I would get this feedback, and I really respected my lead. And so there was a, a desire to protect and kind of, like, man up in a way, mm-hmm. but it was totally disrespectful and irresponsible of me. Um and I could have, I think I could have been a better friend of my lead by just being a better sounding board mm-hmm. and offering like exactly what you're saying. That's super helpful. The other thing is you might want to try to visually pay attention and kind of get this cue for yourself of when are you picking up a shield and a sword when nobody's asked you to? Mm. You know, because I have this image of, you know, this this kind of coming to the defense of people who maybe aren't even asking to be defended. Right. Um, and it's an admirable, noble quality on one level and a really wildly inappropriate quality on the other. Mm-hmm. And so it's that learning what's the feeling, that urge to protect. And if you can catch yourself doing that, it's just practice. It's just awareness. You know, ooh, I'm feeling this urge to protect people. A, have I been asked to? B, do they need it? C, is it my role? And what's the payoff for you when you do it? Because I'm sure it's coming from a genuine spot. Mm-hmm but it also provides you with something, whether it's relief from that parental message or maybe you feel good on those instances where you are able to protect someone. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's the relief of getting it off, off my chest, I guess, is so, like someone's got to hear about it. And if nobody is going to do it, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. But it seldom gets me the result that I'm looking for, which is change and growth. So that, uh, that's been that's brought that to my awareness. Like there's a pattern here with Jake and it's, it's not like the definition of insanity. (laughs) I don't want to keep doing this. Yeah. I want to, I want to motivate people, um, and help them grow and lead them, uh, in a, in a productive direction, but in a direction that brings them with me, not just leading. And, uh, there's a, a show I was watching, the guy, um, it was that, I, this is a dictatorship and I'm the dick in charge. That <laughs> mentality, I hate it. That's not who I want to be as a leader. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I think, you know, Hunter, you have a good point. You know, providing yourself some grace is an important thing. Yeah. You've got awareness that it's there. That's further than some people ever get. And, you know, to me, I think it's a great example that, in, and I see it so often, no matter really where I go, 
often our very best qualities are also our very worst. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how do we find that way to fundamentally get the good qualities out of those habits and manage or moderate the ones that perhaps aren't as adaptive that get you to that point where you boil over and Mm -hmm. unload. And, you know, just again, it's, it's awareness, it's practice, it's grace, it's you're trying to pay attention. Everyone's different. For some people, they find themselves saying the same things or they might have a visceral feeling like if you can feel your shoulders getting tight or your stomach getting upset or whatever it might be because typically we have physiological reactions before we have awareness of them. Mm-hmm. And so learning to, you know, really kind of pay attention to whatever those cues are and literally do something as simple as take 10 deep breaths and, you know, what is my role here? What's my job here? Mm. I love learning about the physiological response. Mm-hmm. In what way? Well, I'm a finance person. So the, I read a book called The Hour Between Dog and Wolf, and it's about um, physiology and uh, stock traders mm-hmm. and how, like, all of their pretty much like what we consider the subconscious is mostly a physiological response is what I gathered mm-hmm. Um, and it's your your brain picking up on those cues. Um, and he had a, a study where um, they took like three decks of cards and there was a probability to win or lose money based on each deck of cards. And people would pick up which deck of cards would be the most reliable source of income before they could ever consciously say it. And the physiological response was your sweat glands increasing in size or di- like dilating or undilating based on a, a, some sort of stress response. So if you re- went for the high risk pile, it'd be like, don't do that. And then you're, you'd go to a different pile. Mm. So, but that's that's a subconscious. You're not you're not nowhere yeah. going to be mm. able to be aware of that. Correct. But those kinds of things are huge. But you know, it, it portrays and you know tense body parts and those kinds of things as well that you could be a little bit more aware of. Mm. <laughs> well, and there's a lot of thinking that you know what used to be called intuition or gut. Yeah is really rapid processing of cognitive stuff in a very unconscious way. Yeah. You know, and so there's really more fundamentally weight put to our gut decision-making, yeah. and it's less groovy woo because it's really thought that that is the brain working in the background. Yeah, exactly what's, exactly what's happening, right? The mm-hmm. subconscious was detecting patterns way before you could ever mm-hmm. say what that pattern was. Yeah. Hmm. We're such interesting creatures. We are. <laughs> we are, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I mean... That was a lot of great information. What uh, that was that was you know the exact example of how how the coaching and consulting goes, <laughs> yeah, right? So. Yeah, that was that was good. I felt I felt. Uh, I mean, the psychology came in. The, the yeah, intuition with people definitely can see that in you. Well, and I appreciate you know your willingness to be vulnerable and look at it, but it was a great example in the moment. You know, yeah. how do you get people to continue that? And you're. You're doing that, and that's really what leaders need to do. That's what employees need to do. You know, it's that willingness to go, eh, you know, I stuck my foot in my mouth again. I'd like to do it less. <laughs> How do I do that? Yeah. Here's my intention. Here's occasionally where it goes astray. How do I make sure that my actions more consistently align with my intentions and what's getting in the way of that? Mm. Yeah, I like to think I'm far enough along in my entrepreneurial career or whatever journey, journey yeah. to be past the imposter syndrome part. But <laughs> oh, good luck! <laughs> yeah, I'm working with you know a, a group of of executives right now, and they're amazing people, and it's a hard thing to get away from. Yeah, even those that are wildly successful in a few more uh, years on you con- chronologically, it it sticks with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I see it in myself pop out all the time. But I I respect people who can, I mean, leaders, parents who can own their mistakes and mm-hmm. and fess up, and that. That's just what I, I try to focus on that. The leader that scares me the most is the one who thinks they've got everything under control and mm. never make a mistake and are, you know, capitalism's gift of whatever. Yeah. Mm. So. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, it's true, right? Because that person won't grow and learn when they need to. Because well, they, they didn't tell do you anything. They don't need to. Yeah, because they didn't do yeah. anything wrong ever. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, oh, to be that person. I, I don't think I'd want to be, but every now and then it's nice to have that kind <laughs> of yeah. blinders. <laughs> yeah. <know>? Like, <laughs> I am perfect. Yeah. you so. got to keep running into some some very, uh, I mean, similar wa- walls. Like, how do you, to be so hard-headed to not see that? Being hard-headed helps because it helps you not yeah, see it. Yeah, I guess. You know, it there callous. are people who just, they cannot look in the mirror. It's too painful. It's too uncomfortable. They have been 
trained, conditioned, and they've developed it to a fine art. And anything that occurs that's not congruent with how they think about themselves and their business is someone else's fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? What that just brought up an an interesting question. If you were working for someone like mm-hmm. that, uh, obviously coming and talking to someone like yourself takes a certain amount of awareness mm-hmm. or accountability. Someone came in and held them accountable. But how would you approach someone like that um, if, like, the goal is to be constructive and help them grow? And obviously not to take out resentment and anger on the person, but do you have any tools or tips for that? You know, when you first were asking the question, I thought you were going to say if you worked there, and I would say I would try to find another job. Yeah. Um, well, no, that's as an employee or as a an colleague. Employee. Yeah, as an employee, I'd, I'd find another job. Okay. Um, Just not worth it. That's probably going back to the things that are outside of your control yeah. as an employee. It is. Because usually that would be, dis- you know, to me, that should... An individual, he or she, with that type of approach, would um, most likely have a culture that makes it very hard for anybody to say anything, for mm. anybody to have dissent or constructive you know, conversations or utilize conflict positively or be innovative, frankly, or anything. You just... You've insulated yourself, I'm sure. You have. Um, if there was a person, he or she or they, you know, someone who really, you know, had, you know, a string of accomplishments and a string of things they were doing well, but there was also, like, a string of things that weren't. So a board said, hey, Hunter, you know, you're doing a great job on these things, but, you know, we're losing 45% of our workforce every year and we can't keep doing it. And the feedback from the employees and the engagement surveys is that you are, you know, come up every single time. We love what you're doing over here, but we don't like what you're doing over there. Go get some coaching. You know, and again, hopefully framed a whole heck of a lot better than that. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that but, gets the point. But, yeah. but, but get, you know, someone who's basically, you know, a board is, who's willing to say, look, here's the good stuff. Here's the stuff that's not good. We can't keep you on if you don't address this. We've got, you know, five different coaching approaches you can pick, but these are the things we want you to see. And hopefully someone that's got a good relationship with the CEO and the board who can take someone, I'm obviously pointing to Hunter at the moment, but can take the CEO aside and, and say, this is getting in your way. This is impacting your ability to lead well. This is mm. this is this is detracting from the bottom line. We believe we could, and you know, someone who can be trusted enough to engage and say you need to look at that. And then it really takes. I mean, coaching, consulting, you name it. It's it's two things. It's the relationship and it's finding the fit. And so you know, for just even the two of you, you might work with very different styles of a coach yep. because you have slightly different needs and slightly different frameworks. So it's getting that right fit, and then someone who knows what they're doing and isn't just kind of bringing you the groovy tool du jour, but someone who can really gear towards it. So someone who is that hard-headed in the example we mm. were giving, it would really take someone pretty consistent and pretty calm to be able to repeatedly say, and what are you bringing to the circumstance? And what was your role in this? And what is the advantage of not looking at your role in this? And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sometimes people will hear it, and other times they won't. And you have to be able to also be willing to fire a client and say, you know, you have the right to do things the way you want. It's been lovely meeting you. Mm-hmm. Take care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. I've actually grown in that. I used to be, yes, well, I, I still have some yes man in me but mm-hmm. being able to fire clients has given me a lot of life back in a yeah. lot of ways sometimes it's not a good match sometimes it's a project that won't be successful mm-hmm. so i appreciate that i i think that was awesome do you have any any other questions not particularly i mean so as far as like your you said just related to your business i mean what is Who's your typical client? Who are you looking for for that kind of thing? Well, I'm, I'm doing sort of two parts. I, I'm currently serving as a Vistage chair, and the Vistage organization works specifically with chief executives. So I'm working with business owners, presidents, and CEOs. And in that case, you know, what I'm really looking for is a there's a sort of a maximum size of a group, but it's okay. a peer-based framework of coaching. And to me, it really is very nice because there's nothing new under the sun. And so... It's non-competing industries with the framework that everyone is dealing with. Oh, all the same things like hiring and retaining employees, yeah. cost of you know goods, 
inflation, supply chain, living in Alaska, all of those sorts of things. <laughs> and so, well, because we do have some unique things. We, we do. really do. Yeah. And um, it, it's just hard for people to wrap their head around the size of the state, the difficulty transporting things here, the variability of location, culture. Yeah. Um, so to me, there's a real power in being able to work with people who can hear you out, know what your challenges are, provide you with sort of unvarnished, honest, authentic advice who can call you on your garbage if you're you know, continuing to kind of delude yourself and can also provide some really concrete recommendations. Um, you know, for me, I have a couple of areas that I think are important. I want people with really high integrity, both for their organizations, the communities they serve, but about themselves as well, Yeah, that they hold themselves accountable. I like people who aren't afraid of change, but don't necessarily do change just because it's there. You know, you really have to be kind of thoughtful and planful about change, but not be afraid of it. Mm -hmm. And to me, humor. You know, you've got to be able to you know, <laughs> laugh at yourself, uh, pick yourself up, look at yourself in the mirror and go, ooh, man, did I really screw that one? And, you know, be able to, to learn from it. So I do that uh, in terms of consulting and stuff. I'm still developing that. I'm doing some subcontracting with a couple of other organizations, but... You know, I have a lot of background in leadership, organization design, and um, strategy and strategic planning. So those are the areas that I like to do my work in. Okay, that's awesome. I mean, I like the I like the idea, especially kind of having the our Alaska focus. It's like you said, we do have some unique, it's unique a very challenges. Unique place, yeah, yeah. We do. <clears throat> Logistically, people, all that stuff. Like, you well, can't just and even the nature of our businesses. You know, if you yeah. look at it, we don't have a lot of local offices of large, you know, national, international, global companies, we don't. And a lot of people don't understand the ANCs and the role of the sort of economic drivers of the Alaska Native corporations and yeah. their subsidiaries and that, which is a huge economic framework, but really is structured very differently than a lot of people are familiar with. So you know, you've got your local homegrown businesses. You know, we've got a few local offices of large globals, and then you've got the, you know, the sort of really important, powerful role of the ANCs. And if we don't think about those in terms of how they make our economic engine move forward, I think we miss something. And a lot of people don't get that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, and Alaskans just have this, like, built-in shop local thing. Mm -hmm. It's just part of our culture, <laughs> which I don't think is normal for most places. It is part of our culture, except I think in one area. Where's that? Hiring consultants. There is a real bias to <laughs> hire outside because yeah. there is, I think, a belief that anybody local couldn't possibly understand, couldn't mm -hmm. possibly be skilled. And I'm not talking me personally at the moment because I saw that when I worked, you know, when I was in higher ed here, when I did work for the federal government, it, I saw it in a couple of different ways. If you needed something where you needed a consultant, the bias was to hire someone from Seattle or But then they, don't, they really don't understand Alaska, though, so they're missing a big chunk of that. Then you got to then you got to get them up to speed yeah. on Alaska, yeah. right? Yeah. So again, in all fairness, I'm sure there are yeah. stunningly wonderful consultants who aren't in Alaska, but yes. I think the bias for a lot of organizations here is to look somewhere else other than Alaska first. And there's a real wealth of talent across all sorts of industries here locally, and that's one place that I don't think we think local first. Yeah. Mm. No, it's actually really funny you say that. So we're working with a client. He work, he's working in Kotzebue, and the home office was like, wait, he lives in Anchorage, and he works 200 miles away? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, you're like, it's every day for us. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. we, we, were doing, we were doing telehealth and telemedicine before it became popular. We were doing, yeah. I remember, I hate to admit it, more than 20 years ago when we were doing live, synchronous online classes with students in rural Alaska dealing with, you know, fundamentally dirty dial-up, but we were still doing it. And, you know, <laughs> everyone thinks now, ooh, Zoom, and, you know, which is great. Thank heavens we had it during the pandemic. But, you know, Alaska is very much at the forefront of the use of technology because we're so spread out. Yeah, mm. we have to. Mm -hmm. There, I guess that, I mean, this could rabbit trail. I'm just curious to hear your perspective on, I, I see so much opportunity in Alaska and I think in a lot of industries, people have this, this mindset that if you're, if you're worth your salt or you're highly successful, the natural progression is to go to the lower 48. Mm -hmm. And I think um, in a lot of cases that does happen, but we're finding really qualified, high-level uh, entrepreneurs, consultants that are here or working virtually 
uh, here. And it's, I mean, what, what, or is there anything that we can do to, uh, I don't know, motivate that growth? Because it's, you see, I'm originally from California, so that, like, Californication of other states, mm -hmm. that mindset, um, I see that, like, the an aversion to growth here in some ways because of the change it could bring, but I, I see it both and. Mm -hmm. We can be, we can fix things like the supply chain issue, we can create more jobs, I mean, we can improve the state without losing the state. But I don't know, where would you even start? First off, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's a problem and an issue, and I think it's one that's been improving. I mean, yeah. if I look at the last couple of, you know, the last two decades, I think that there is a better understanding of the sort of depth and breadth of skill here. I think, I, I think the ANCs have made a difference in terms of, you know, their growth and development and their role as economic drivers and employers in the state and out of the state and really yeah. kind of providing a model for successful businesses, whether it's the regionals or whether it's even the village corps and really kind of showing that you can, you know, think differently about how you create those opportunities. Um, and I think the same is true. You know, there certainly are people, you know, you mentioned Christian Montina. I don't know him personally, but I know of him. You know, there are people of his skill and stature who are kind of gaining footholds. There are a couple of really, I think, well-known consultants, you know, whether it's, you know, whether you're looking at corporate finance or whether you're looking at legal issues or real estate or, you know, management consulting that I think are getting enough of an experience. But there's a, there's a group, and this is a bit of a shameless plug, but I will... No, absolutely. I will own that it's a shameless plug. <laughs> there is... Uh, well, I, I have, I've had the good fortune. I don't know if you're familiar with Kai Holland. Um, I do know Kai, yeah. Yeah, so Kai used to teach at APU, so that's how I knew Kai. And um, Kai is everywhere. You know, he's, he's in startup funding. He's in angel investing. He's in entrepreneurship. He's in classic business. And he has been partnering with a number of people, um, including now a gentleman named Ryan Witten, who is the executive director now of Alaska Version 3. And I've been involved with that group, and I'm now serving on the board. Awesome. And that's part of the questions that ACV3 is looking at is, what is our next economy? How do we think about getting more of that conversation mm -hmm. of what is good here. It's more than that. They're looking at, you know, kind of what's the transition between what was, you know, an indigenous um, subsistence economy, an extractive economy in the era of oil, and what's next in terms of both capital and social, and where do we go? And it's not anti-extraction. It's not anti-subsistence. It's, you know, those are things that are history and going forward, and how do we think about what we're going to be next and engage people in that conversation of the development of the state and the development of what's here and the recognition of what's here. I will say that solving some of the supply chain issues I don't think is local. I think we're always going to be somewhat yeah. challenged by where stuff comes into the ports, you know, whether it's Long Beach or I think it's Seattle, right? There's something, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we're going to have those challenges mm -hmm. that we can contribute to improvement, but I don't think we're going to fix it in exactly a totally homegrown way. Right. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm just always curious because I, I I love Alaska, and the more I stay here, it's uh, it I it keeps growing on me. He just want it bigger, bigger and better. Yeah. Well, not even bigger and better. I just like I see I see it's that protector in me again. Mm -hmm. um, people get take advantage of here through poor businesses. Um, there's there's businesses operating, and nobody's holding them accountable. They're ripping people off every day. And I just, uh, it's the consumer, like, that ends up getting hurt. And I think you go through that enough time. We have tons of turnover. Mm -hmm. People don't want to to be treated that way. They want more. Um, and I think we could do a both-and kind of thing. When you were talking, I had a thought. Can I share one more mm -hmm, on your protector? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I had asked you, you know, what prompts you to pick up the shield and the, the sword. And when you were talking about protecting again, I had this vision of you, um, you know, sort of standing over the downtrodden. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can figure out how to flip around 180 degrees and use that sword to chop paths. Hmm. You know, take that energy and, and think about finding ways, you know, with that entrepreneurial mindset, you know, what are the, the opportunities out there? How do you take that desire to make things better and shift where its energy goes? Mm hmm. Hmm. 
I'm going to have to process on that. That one didn't resonate well with you, which is fine. No, it did. Okay. I, I just want to chew on it. Okay. Because, I, I mean, I have a lot of ideas. Um, but this year has been that analogy of putting the oxygen mask on yourself because mm-hmm. it's been so outwardly focused that it's taken a lot of energy. And until I have an oxygen mask on, uh, that's like the first pass. That's the, the domino. But I think... Uh, think there could be more because it was a good question yeah and you know I, I raised the second part because sometimes when you're working whether you're a consultant or a coach or a good friend you can raise an idea and it might not resonate to the person and that's okay mm-hmm. so I want to be really clear that you know I can make a reflection and it could be like way wrong and that's okay <laughs> but I have to be okay with it being way wrong yeah. if I'm really committed to being right all the time then it's about me not about mm-hmm. the people I'm working with mm-hmm. so. true I Very like true. that question Thinkers. <laughs> <laughs> now Jake's thinking. Uh, so where can people connect with you? What is, do you have a website, LinkedIn? What's uh, the best way to? Certainly LinkedIn is there. Um, I do have a website. It's Constructive Wave Consulting, which is long verbiage, but constructivewaveconsulting.com. Okay. Um, or my email, the easiest one is tmstuart2 at gmail.com. Okay. Yeah, easy enough. We can get people that way. And we'll put that all in the show notes so people can connect with you that way. Great. Um, and then on LinkedIn, just Tracy Stewart. Yes. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you, Tracy. Oh, yeah. thank you very much. I have really enjoyed this. I hope it's been helpful. Yeah, no, it's awesome. You definitely helped him. So yeah. <laughs> <I> <laughs> you made impact value. right here. One person <laughs> at the very least. <laughs> thank you very much for inviting me today. Absolutely. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Go ahead and give us a follow on our Facebook page if you'd like to stay connected. And if you want to go deeper with us, join our Facebook group. And here you can join the conversation, you know, share resources with each other and uh, network with other like-minded people like yourselves. And if you know someone that would get value out of the episode today, we'd be honored if you shared the show with them. Until next time, progress over perfection.